Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. MLBC is led by Pastor Dennis Fountain and exists to help real people going through real life experience real change through our incredible God. We hope this message will be an encouragement to you, and we'd love to hear how God used it in your life. Luke and chapter 6 this morning, Luke chapter 6. As we uh, continue our study, we're going through the Gospel of Luke, Encountering Christ is the, the name of the series, and it's really just looking at the possibilities of a life with Jesus, and uh, just looking at the miracle working power of Jesus, and all of the, uh, all the works that he did, all of the teachings that he did, and just recognizing, of course, Luke's theme in the book, or the idea, the uh, the reason for writing the book is to let everybody know that he is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, that Jesus is the Messiah. And so he writes from a few different perspectives to prove that thought, uh, not only the miracles and the power of Jesus, but the deity of Christ. And Luke is just, a, it's an incredible gospel. And uh, I, if someone forced me to choose a, uh, a favorite author, Luke would be one of my two favorite authors, the book of Luke and the book of Acts, of course, Luke wrote. He just did a phenomenal job in detail, and I just love reading the book of Luke. And so if you've been with us in our study, then you'll recall Luke has already written about the deity of Jesus. He wrote about his family heritage. Uh, he wrote about the fact that he was, in fact, a descendant of David, and we've covered that in chapter number three. Uh, of course, we saw some miracles as Luke, as Jesus showed up on the scene and began performing miracles. And lately, we've been kind of, um, kind of listening in to lessons that Jesus has been preaching. And if you were here last week, then you'll recall we started with probably the most famous message that Jesus preached. Um, Matthew records it in three chapters, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. Luke records it in about 30 verses. What does that tell us? Well, this famous sermon called the Sermon on the Mount or maybe Sermon on the Plain might be two different instances, might have been two different times. It might have been the same one, but we know that Jesus, he preached to many people many times, and a lot of those times he would have preached the same truths. And so we know that Luke is just writing some truths that Jesus had preached. And last week, we kind of listened in, and of course, we are going to see this from here on out in the Gospel of Luke about Jesus, Jesus made people mad a lot. Now, some of you are like, yes, me and Jesus have a lot in common. Jesus made people mad for like good reasons, like not the reasons you and I, like we make people mad because we're selfish. <laughs> Jesus made people mad because he confronted them with truth. Now, let's be honest. How many of us like being confronted with truth when we know we're wrong. If you've been wrong in something and someone calls you out, you're, don't, stop. And I don't, I don't wanna hear that. It makes us frustrated. Well, imagine yourself being some of the religious leaders and some of the famous people of that day. And here comes Jesus on the scene. And Jesus begins preaching truths that confronted people. Last week, as we started this famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, 
Luke writes, and he writes about one of the areas that Jesus confronted these people with, and he confronted really even his disciples. As we opened up in Luke chapter 6 and verse number 20, it tells us that Jesus is speaking to his disciples. And he comes to them, and now mind you, remember, their culture, much like ours, had some opinions on stuff. Uh, Their culture, like ours, believes or believed that... uh, the really, really happy people in the world, the really content people, the, real, real, the, the people who are really fulfilled in life, well, probably they're the rich people and the well-known people and probably even some really big religious people. That's what happiness is. That's what their culture taught. If you were rich, if you were well-known, if you were super religious, then you probably were very content, very happy. Well, Jesus taught the contrary last week. He taught the opposite of that. Jesus said blessed or blessed or divinely divinely overjoyed or complete fulfillment, complete contentment belongs to those, number one, who are humble. Those who are humble before God. Number two, it belongs to those who have a heart that seeks after God. Those are the people who are really content. Those who are really content are those who have a heart of repentance that impacts their life every day. They don't just feel bad for their sin and feel bad for the way they live before God, but they desire to live right before God, and they have a heart that is impacted by a desire to be right with God. And then we noticed last week, Those who are fulfilled, those who have contentment, Jesus said, are those who focus upon God's desires and not the desires of people. God pleasers, not people pleasers. It's kind of like this idea that, I'll be honest, and I don't expect you to walk out right now, but you might. If you came to church today just to please a spouse or a parent or a friend, that's a wrong reason. Jesus said, listen, when, I, when I'm following him, I should follow him because I love him. I preached a camp this last week in Canada. I was gone, uh, left Sunday afternoon after church and got back late Friday night, preached in Canada at this camp. And on the last service this Friday morning that I stood before these teenagers and I had preached through the story of Jonah and uh, most of the week. And then on Friday morning, I just got up and I, I preached a message out of Ephesians chapter one that one of the best ways to keep a decision you make at camp is by remembering God loves you and I can love him back. I think that's one of the simplest lessons that every Christian can learn. If I am going to do things for God in my life, God is not interested in a checklist. God is interested in me following him because I love him, right? And so Jesus taught that last week. Man, I should have a desire to please God, not to please man. Start this morning in Luke chapter six. We're going to walk through the next uh, about 20 verses or so. But before we get to it, I just wanna ask you, have you ever been around somebody or had someone in your life that seemed to always rearrange things? You ever had somebody like that? 
Maybe a mom, this is a, this is a mom that always rearranges the living room or a bedroom. This is the dad that constantly is in the garage shuffling things around. This is the teenager that is continually messing with the decorations in their room. It's the school teacher that is never content to leave things the way they are. It's just always changing. You ever been around somebody like that? I'm sure you have. I actually, I have been blessed in my life to have rearrangers every step of the way. It's a blessing. I remember when I was a kid and I would go off to camp, uh, being at camp this last week, speaking at that camp, I thought about this. When I came home from camp, when I was a kid, I would come home and my room would be different. It would be pain. I remember one time I was gone for a little bit of time and I, I came back and my room had red and blue, what were they? It was like a heartbeat pattern, stripes through my bedroom. I was like 10 years old and I was like, that's cool. I don't care. I get fed here. I'll, I'll sleep in a room with heartbeats. I was like, are they hoping? Never mind. I won't even go there. You know what? You've been around somebody that rearranges some things. I had it in elementary. I had it in high school. My mom, if you've ever been to my mom's house, and I'm not picking on her. She gets it from her mom. My, my mom and my grandmother, they have, um, they have a problem. That problem is an obsession with decorations. And maybe you have an obsession with decorations. And when I'm talking about an obsession with decorations, I'm not talking just about like, hey, we have the family picture on the wall. I'm talking like, hey, we have our family picture on the wall. And every year that we've ever taken a family picture is on the wall. And our family's family pictures are on the wall. And we have some cousins. They are distant, but we have their family pictures on the wall. And as a matter of fact, we have great, 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 great Uncle Jeb. We got him on the wall and his family and Aunt Susie and her kid. You think I'm exaggerating? Just go to my mom's house sometime. And mom's right over here. Am I lying? No. And she got it from my grandmother, mama. Uh, they hang stuff from the ceilings. Not exaggerating, not now because she can't in the current place that she lives in, but in all the houses growing up, my mom had things tacked to the ceiling. There was one room, we call it the death room. And the reason we called it the death room is because as you would walk in the death room, not only were there pictures all over the walls, but there were like shovels and axes and picks and irons hanging from the ceiling. We had a friend that lived with us for five years and I've mentioned him before an earthquake happened one time when he was at home. He was in the death room. He genuinely said, Dennis, I thought I was going to die. He was like, things were toppling over and I, like, I can't duck in this room. Like duck and no, he was like, I had to get out, out of the death room. The ground is going up and down. I'm crawling up and down thinking, God, please help the iron not to fall on my head. Help the pitchfork not to come through my brain right now. But you know what my mom would do? She'd rearrange it all. You'd go away and come home and things would be moved. Pictures would be moved. New pictures would be put up. Old pictures wouldn't be brought down. They would just be moved and new pictures would be put up. When I got to college, I had a roommate that rearranged his side of the room every month. Nine months of college, every month he rearranged his side of the room. I was like, what are you doing, Adam? And he's like, he's from Australia. He's like, well, mate, don't like it anymore. I'm like, all right, whatever. Then I got married. 
And I found out my wife has this special gift. Not the gift of obsession, the gift of rearranging. And Hannah, there are times still that I will leave. I left this week. I was in Canada. She was only home for like two of the days that I was gone. And you know what I came home to? I came home to a whole living room wall that was painted differently and decorated differently. And I'm like, where do you find the time to do this? Rearranging things. I learned this, though, at a young age, and I've learned it especially now being married. Husbands, help me out. I have two choices. I got two choices when I come home. When I came home from camp, and this week, Hannah will get home. She's at an art show this weekend, of course, for her business that she owns. And so she'll get home late tonight, and I have two choices. I can go, I'm putting my foot down. Don't ever paint another room without my permission. I'm the man of the house. Or I could make the smart choice. What's a smart choice? Who cares? Let her rearrange it. You know why? Because usually it's better. If you came to my office, you'd realize why her decorating is better. My office has stayed the same for over a year now. And she walks in my office all the time and goes, babe, you need to redecorate your office. And I'm like, why? It's perfect. You know what? When the rearranging happens, the rearrangement is usually when Hannah does it. As a matter of fact, in 19 and a half years of marriage, every single time that she's done it and finished it and thought, yep, that's good, I've come in and said, man, this is way better than what I thought. It looks way better than it did. So I have one of two choices. I can get frustrated about it or I can just allow it to take place. I bring up the illustration and use that this morning to start to ask you the question. The question is this, are you allowing, I don't know what just happened, Dustin, so you might need to control that back there. The question is, there it goes. Now I'm controlling it, it's not even showing Are you allowing your life to be rearranged? Are you allowing your life to be rearranged? Well, pastor, what do you mean by that? I mean, my wife doesn't do that. No, I'm not talking about the house. I'm talking about this simple truth that we are going to see in Luke chapter number six. When you put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, when you choose to say yes and follow him, The Bible says in the book of 1 Corinthians that he desires to make all things new. What does that mean? There's a lot of rearranging that Jesus wants to do in your life. There's a lot of rearranging. There's a lot of moving. There's a lot of things and changes that Jesus wants to make in your life. My question to you this morning is, are you allowing those changes to take place? Because you and I, we have that choice, one of two. I can fight against the changes. No, God, it's my life, as your father also is merciful. Verse 45. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, bringeth forth fruit, that which is, or bring, for of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaketh. Verse 47. Whosoever cometh to me, And heareth my sayings and doeth them, I will show you to whom he is like. He is like a man 
which built an house and digged deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently upon that house and could not shake it for because it was founded upon a rock. But he that heareth and doeth not, doesn't do these things, is like a man that without a foundation built an house upon the earth against which the stream did beat vehemently and immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. The question I wanna start with this morning, are you allowing your life to be rearranged? Is Jesus free to change some things in your life? Because what we're going to see this morning in the, as we wrap up this life that Jesus said, I wanna rearrange this. I wanna change your thinking in this. And so this morning, just wanna ask you that question to think about, are you allowing him, allowing Jesus to rearrange your life? Let's pray, we'll get the challenge this morning. Dear Lord, I pray that you'd bless as we look into your word. God, I pray that you'd help us to hear from you. I pray, Lord, that you would Take the words that are said in these next few moments together, and God, that you would challenge each of us in our heart. I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to be responsive to you, that you'd help us to know what you're speaking to us about. And God, I pray that if there's anyone with us today or maybe with us online, and they do not know that they, if they were to die, that they'd be going to heaven, I pray that you'd help them today to put their faith and trust completely in you. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for your love. And before I close my prayer, just in the quietness of your own heart, would you pray and ask God to speak to you today? Pray something simple. Dear God, please speak to my heart today. And then would you make a commitment? God, if you speak to me today, I'm gonna listen to you. Again, Lord, bless our time. Help us to hear from you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can go ahead and be seated. Four areas that I believe that Jesus is helping us understand that when he comes into a life, he wants to rearrange. Number one, I want us to see today that Jesus, he desires to rearrange my relationships. Jesus desires to rearrange my approach to relationships. We read a couple of the verses, but notice, if you will, Luke chapter six, verse 37, down through verse number 31. Jesus said this, but I say unto you which hear, love your enemies, do good to them which hate you, bless them that curse you, pray for them which despitefully use you, and unto him that smiteth thee on the one cheek, offer the other also. And him that taketh away thy cloak, forbid not to take thy coat also. Give to every man that asketh of thee, and of him that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. And as you would that men should do unto you, do you also to them likewise. Let's put ourselves in the mindset of the audience that Jesus is preaching to. Most of the people that Jesus is preaching to on this day, as we opened up a few minutes ago, would be disciples or followers of Jesus, but many of them would be Hebrew people. They would be of the Jews. Now, at this time, the leading world ruler, of course, is Rome. Now, Rome, with Jews, with the Hebrews, they had come into the land. They had conquered the land. They were very oppressive 
They were very suppressive. They did not support the Jews having their identity as their nation or anything. They taxed the Jews. They took advantage of the Jews. They mistreated the Jews. They were just completely ruthless. They were considered, for all intents and purposes, the Jews, the Hebrews, considered Romans to be their enemies. The Pharisees, the religious leaders of that day, they were subjugated or they were under the authority of the Jews, but secretly they were hoping that a king would come and, and produce some sort of upheaval. And they were secretly desiring that the, Jew, that the, that the Romans would be shoved out of their life. The, the Pharisees, the religious leaders were desiring that. Well, here comes Jesus on the scene. And on this day, Jesus is preaching. There's multitudes of people that are following him in that group would be mostly followers, disciples. But then we also know from the end of it, Matthew chapter number seven, that there would be some Pharisees, some religious people that would be there that are trying to catch Jesus in a lie. So all of these people, Jesus gets up and he says to them, love your enemies, who do they think of immediately? The Romans. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> wait, love, love my enemies? Here's, what, here's actually what Jesus was teaching. Return love for hostility. The word enemies there, it means those with hostility toward you. Return love for hostility. Return kindness for hatred. Bless those, speak good of those that curse you. Pray for those that use you and abuse you. Offer the other cheek to those that mistreat you. Offer not only your cloak, your outer garment, your, your coat, but your, your sweatshirt, your shirt also to those that demand of your cloak. If anybody asks to borrow something, give it to him. And if you give somebody something to borrow, never ask for it back. all right, you're sitting there, you're a Hebrew. What are you thinking in this moment? Oh, wait, we actually don't have to be sitting there and thinking as a Hebrew because in this very moment, you're thinking, that's absurd. Humanly speaking, when we hear return love for hostility, when someone treats me in a hostile way, love them. If someone uh, curses your name, you bless their name. If someone uh, mistreats you, then you show kindness to them. That, that's preposterous. And yet, it's the words of Jesus. Jesus says that we should not only tolerate unkindness, but that we should repay it with kindness. Now, if you're here this morning, I recognize that in this room, there are people of all sorts of uh, hurts and all sorts of backgrounds. This situation right here, I've, I have been in a, in a message where people get up and preach that this is the reason that a person should stay in an abusive relationship or a, an abusive friendship or something like that. I will tell you that is not what Jesus is speaking to. Okay, that is addressed in other places in scripture and that is, uh, I've preached on that before and if you have any questions about that, come see me. 
What Jesus is speaking to right here is, is really our day in and day out lives where most of us, like where most of us really, really struggle. Okay, because now, now specifically with them, I mean, you can go to the book of Matthew and Jesus spoke to the, uh, the Hebrew people and he said, hey, if, if a Roman soldier comes up and demands of you to go one mile, I, I tell you, go two miles. Here's what Jesus is bringing out. He's bringing a principle that's taught in the book of Proverbs that is this, that if you have people that have an issue upon you, uh, they have an issue with you, if you just show kindness to them, continuously, God says, you're the, you're the better person because of my power. And here's what Jesus is doing. He's helping them understand that you and I in our lives, each and every day, if you know Christ as Savior, he wants to rearrange how you approach relationships. He continues and he says this, for if you love them which love you, what thank have ye? He's saying, I mean, for sinners also do love them that do do love those that love them. And if you do good to them which do good to you, what thank have ye? For sinners also do even the same. And if you lend to them of whom you hope to receive, what thank have ye? For sinners also lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love ye your enemies, do good and lend hoping for nothing again, and your reward shall be great, and you shall be the children of the highest. For he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. Did you catch what he said there? Hey, anybody, anybody can show kindness to people who are kind to them. And when he says, for sinners do the same, that word sinners means lost people, people who don't know Jesus. Anybody can show kindness to people who are kind to them, but it takes something special to show kindness to those who mistreat us. It takes something special to speak blessing to those who curse us. It takes something special to loan somebody something and not ask for it back. I had a friend a number of years ago. He was... <clears throat> 19, I was 18, we were both about to go to college. He was trying to pay off his car. And he said to me, hey, Dennis, I know you have some money saved up. I will pay you back. I'll pay you back by the end of the summer before we go to college. I need $1,200 to pay off my car so I don't pay interest for the rest of the summer. He's like, I just, that's all I need, 1,200 bucks. And so I said, okay, I'll loan you $1,200. That was 25 years ago. I don't think he's ever paid me back. You say, pastor, are you holding a grudge? No, I actually can't even remember if he's paid me back because at about five years in, I was frustrated. Like, when is this guy gonna pay me back? And I remember just being challenged. Dennis, who cares? The friendship's better than the money. Don't worry about it. Now, I'll be honest with you. $1,200 back then, that's 25 years ago. He owes me six grand now. <laughs> six grand or like some couple gallons of gas and about 10 dozen eggs. 
Listen, what I'm getting at is just this truth that when Jesus showed up, he said, I'm, gonna, I'm here to rearrange some things. I'm here to rearrange how you approach relationship. But he didn't just teach it. He actually lived it, right? Because the Bible tells us in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse number 21 through 24, even hereunto were you called because, also Christ, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps, who did no sin, neither were guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, he reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. But what did he do? He committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Hey, God will take care of this, who his own self bear our sins and his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. Listen, Jesus' approach, he was reviled yet reviled not again. He came to change my approach to relationships. So my question for you today is this, what has your approach been to relationships? I mean, think about your marriage. Think about your family. Think about people around you that you would consider to be enemies or people who curse you, people who mistreat you. What's your approach, Ben? Jesus came to rearrange my relationships. Notice, secondly, that Jesus came to rearrange my perspective. He came to rearrange my perspective, my focus. Look at verse number 36. Be therefore merciful as your father also is merciful. Judge not and you shall not be judged. Condemn not and you shall not be condemned. Forgive and you shall be forgiven. Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, shall, and running over shall man give into your bosom. For with the same measure that you meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. If you go back to verse number 36, it says, be ye therefore. The word therefore, we've heard it hundreds of times. You gotta go back and see what it's there for. If you went back to the end of verse number 35, you read this phrase. For he, God, is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. Be ye therefore merciful, just like your father also is merciful. Because of the kindness of, of God, because of his example, you too can be merciful. You too can judge not. Judging not is offering forgiveness. And he says that, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and it shall be forgiven. Because of God, you too can give. All of these things cannot be done without first a perspective change. Wait, pastor, connect it for me. What, what do you mean a perspective change? You wanna know the times I don't show mercy? I don't show mercy because I believe that I should be the judge. I don't forgive because I believe that I should be able to get even. I don't give because I believe that I should be receiving you notice the common thought in all of those? I. You know what our culture forces in our life, what we are inundated with? We are inundated with a do what's best for you mindset. Our culture is driven by the consumer mindset, right? It's all about you. It's all about me. Well, when we have a perspective change, listen, when we have a perspective change, it doesn't become all about me. It becomes all about 
others. Why should I show mercy? Well, God's shown you mercy. Why should I forgive? Well, God's forgiven you. Why should I give? What's focused on him and others. And how we need this in our community, in our culture, in our home, in our workplace. People who have a perspective that is not I-focused, but rather him-focused. Jesus rearranges my relationships. He rearranges my perspective. Third today, Jesus rearranges my desires. He rearranges my desires. Notice verse 39. Remember, Jesus is teaching about relationships and others. And so he speaks a parable unto them. And he says this, can the blind lead the blind? Shall they not both fall into the ditch? The disciple is not above his master, but everyone that is perfect or complete shall be as his master, mature like his teacher. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but perceivest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Either how canst thou say to thy brother, brother, let me pull out the mote that is in thine eye, when thou thyself beholdest not the beam that is in thine own eye. Thou hypocrite. Cast out first the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to pull out the mote that is in thy brother's eye. I'm not going to do it today, but years ago I was preaching this passage in the book of Matthew, and I, some of you might have been here. I had It was when uh, Micah Bosworth was still our music pastor. He was just new at that time. I think this was probably 2015. I got... Pastor Rob up here, and I strapped a two by four to his head right in front of his face. Anybody here for that? You remember that? It might be a handful of folks. I strapped a two by four to Pastor Rob's face, and I'm not talking like just a little snippet of a two by four. Like I think, I mean, if I'm almost certain, I think at one point, one time I used a whole eight foot two by four. Another time I think I used a part of one. But I strapped this two by four in front of Pastor Brian's or Pastor Rob's head, in front of his eyes. And then to Pastor Micah, I think I gave him a, a pair of glasses with a splinter taped on the front of it. Something like that. And I remember asking, now Micah, would you would you trust Rob to get the splinter off of your glasses? And of course the answer is no. We're both gonna get hurt in the process. That's the illustration that Jesus is giving, and here's why he gives it, one of the reasons, I believe. Do you know often that, well, we've said it many times, do you realize how easy it is to minimize our issues while maximizing the issues of others? And what I mean by that is, I could really help you. I've I've got the answers. I mean, listen, I can really help you with that issue. I mean, I, 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 it's on me again. And I, oh, I'm just so burdened for you. Listen, I can pray for you because I, I know what you need to do. Now question, is it wrong to want to encourage people? Never. 
Is it wrong to want to help people? Like you know somebody's going through and struggling with an issue and you want to help them. Is that wrong? No, not wrong at all. But here's what's wrong, and this is what Jesus is teaching. We try to help people before we first check our own heart. Hey, why are you trying to help somebody with a, the beam that's in there, or the, the splinter that's in their eye when you have a two by four strapped to your head? You know what Jesus is teaching? He's teaching this, be concerned with your own heart. This idea that Jesus rearranges my desires. Hey, my desire is not to call out everybody else. No, my desire is for Dennis Fountain to be right with God first. I wanna tell you as a pastor, and I, I try to do this every week, is just God help me today, help the message to speak to Dennis first. Why? Because I, I, have, I have no right. I'm just a human being, just like you. I wake up sore in the mornings. And some mornings I wake up frustrated. And some days I say things that maybe I shouldn't have said in, in haste or in frustration. And, and in, some, in some areas of, listen, I, I'm just like you. So what gives me the right to get up and say, thus saith the Lord, if my heart first isn't right with God? Now, I wish I could tell you every single time I've ever got up to the pulpit that my heart has been 100% right with God. But sure as I'm standing here, that probably isn't true. But for every one of us, do you know what my goal should be? Every time I get up, God, speak to Dennis Fountain first. Hey, mom, what would change in your home if you desired to be right with God before pushing everybody else toward it? Hey, dad, what would happen in your marriage if you would be concerned about your heart with God before pushing everybody? Listen, there's nothing wrong with wanting to encourage others. Many of you in here have the gift of encouragement and God wants to use that. But I should be concerned with my own heart first. Here's what Jesus said as he continues. He says, for a good tree bringeth forth not, uh, a good tree bringeth not forth corrupt fruit, neither doth a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. For every tree is known by his own fruit. For of thorns men do not gather figs, nor of a bramble bush gather they grapes. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. Notice the last phrase. For of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaketh. I love this simple quote to help us narrow all of this down to one statement. What is in the root will come out in the fruit. <laughs> What's on the inside will come out. So my desire should be to continuously put the Lord on the throne of my heart not Dennis Fountain. This is somebody who understands Romans 14, 12. So then every one of us will give an account of himself to God. Hey, Jesus came to rearrange your desire. My desire, yes, I want to encourage people, but first, God, I want to be right with you. Lastly today, Jesus came to rearrange my foundation. Hey, he came to rearrange, to change what I build my life upon. We already read the verses a moment ago, verse 46 down through verse number 49. And basically, Jesus is teaching this there, that when Jesus is in the life, he rearranges that which we build upon. 
He rearranges which foundation we build upon. And we, the story is there. There's a wise man that builds his house. Matthew says it this way. He built his house upon a rock. And a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. And the winds came and the storm came and beat against that house. And the house on the rock stood. But the house on the sand fell flat. What is Jesus teaching? What is he saying to these people? Well, he just told them. Hey, if you build your life upon the truths that I'm giving you, I will liken you or compare you to the wise man who builds his house on a foundation. But the opposite is also true. If you and I go through life building our life upon the sand of this world and the sand and what culture teaches of this world, and we go, and listen, these things aren't wrong, but if I build my life upon it, my life is gonna crumble. If I build my life upon my finances, if I build my life upon my family, if I build my life upon my freedom and what I get to do and my hobbies, if I build my life for retirement, if I build my, my life around being known, listen, if I build my life on anything other than Jesus Christ, The teaching is, as you go along, a storm is going to come. And you know what's going to happen? The foundation is pulled out from under you. And how many people do we know that would say, man, my life is a wreck. Why? Because I didn't build on his foundation. We are to commit to the truth. Man, this is, he said, if any man hears my words, man, I'm committed to hearing his words, and then we build on his truth. The building is the most important foundation. You don't take shortcuts, or excuse me, the foundation is the most important part of a building. You don't take shortcuts on the foundation. Jesus desires to rearrange which foundation we build upon. I want to close today by giving you an illustration. I've said it before. Pastor Kerry Schmidt was here a few months ago. He might have even said it when he was here. But I heard him say this a number of years ago, and I love it. If I I came in this morning, you saw me this morning, I had a Band-Aid right here across my forehead. You know, not a huge Band-Aid, just one of those little two-inch Band-Aids right there. You'd walk up. Some of you walk up. You say, Pastor, What happened? If I said, oh, I got hit by a bus, you would go, no, you didn't. No, 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 pastor, what really happened? Now, why would you ask that? Well, the reason you would ask that is because the outcome, the Band-Aid, doesn't match the description. Now, if I came in this morning and you walked in and there I was sitting right by the front door in a wheelchair, both my arms in casts, both my legs in casts. My head's all bandaged up. All I can see is my little face. You say, Pastor, what happened? And I say, I got hit by a bus. You would go, really? Pastor, where? How did it happen? What was going on? Some of the teens, did it hurt? Did it hurt? Now, now, why would they ask that? Why wouldn't they go, no? The reason is because the outcome matches the description. And here's why I say this today. When Jesus came into this world and when he came into your life, he desires to completely rearrange things. But you know what some Christians do? 
they're satisfied with just Band-Aids. Oh, they know they're saved, but he hasn't rearranged some things. They're saying, nope, I'm good. Can I just tell you this morning that the, the outcome should match the description? Oh, it doesn't mean I'm gonna live performance-based Christianity. No, 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 no. It means I say, God, what is ever in, whatever is in my life that you want to rearrange, God, rearrange it. I wanna, be, I wanna be hit by the love, by the bus of your love. I want it to rearrange my life completely. I don't wanna just walk around with a little Band-Aid that identifies that I've been hit by your love. No, 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 God, I want my life to be rearranged. And so I ask you this morning the question we started with. And that is this, are you allowing his rearranging to take place in your life? How do you approach relationships? Where is your perspective? What is your life's desire to please God or to please yourself? What are you building on? Has he rearranged the foundation that you are building upon? Because my friend, listen, God came to make all things new. He came to rearrange everything.